Welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda Palmer, where our mission is providing strength to the weakest among us from both kids in foster care and their biological families. We also talk about topics that affect all children and families. It is our hope that we can inspire you to become the best bio, step, foster, adoptive, or whatever kind of mom or dad that you can be. Part of our mission is inspiring others to become amazing foster families as well, if that is your calling. If it's not your calling, great. Find a thing that sets your soul on fire and go be awesome at that. Let's make our communities great together. Be sure to go by Jason M. Palmer and check out the blog post and other podcast episodes. You can search Jason and Amanda Palmer on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else you get your podcast. If we don't show up, be sure to send me an email and let me know and I will try to get it on there. We'd love to have you leave us some feedback in the form of a rating and review. It really helps the show gain attention. Hi, and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. We are here today with a uh, guest, Luke Zitzman. Luke has been a foster dad for four years. He loves Jesus and has spent the best seven years of his life married to his awesome wife, Mandy. Luke is a pilot in the Coast Guard and flies the HC-144 Ocean Sentry. Luke and Mandy felt called to foster care, and since moving to their current duty station in 2015, have welcomed over a dozen permanent placement cases into their home as well, as provided emergency and respite care for dozens more children in the foster care system. At the time of this recording, they have two teen girls and two younger boys in their family. Welcome, Luke. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. So I see that you fly the Ocean Sentry plane in the Coast Guard. And since I was in the Army, we'll kind of begrudgingly accept the Coast Guard as part of the military because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do, right? <laughs> yeah, unless the government's shutting down and then we don't get paid. But well, otherwise, we're kind of similar. As a veteran who was supposed to get paid disability for the rest of my life, who doesn't get paid anything from him because, well, it's the government. Uh, yeah, shutting down. You know it just it makes me yeah. not get money anyways. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So what's the Ocean Century? I'm curious. Um, it, it's a twin turboprop airplane. So it's like a C-130, just smaller. Okay. Um, it's got, yeah, it's got like the, it's a cargo plane, you know, so it has the ramp door that you can, you know, put down on the deck and, and vehicles can drive into it. Um, and it's just a two engine version. So it's much cheaper to operate, um, for kind of surveillance use, you know, search okay. and rescue and surveillance. Okay. Yeah. I was MI, so I kind of know the, the world you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. That, that's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. what made you decide to go in the Coast Guard? Um, it, it's a, it's a pretty long story. I'd say the short version is, uh, you know, kind of providential. I think that, um, I initially didn't want to go to college at all. My parents said that I, I didn't have a choice. I was going, um, I, I went to, uh, look up some more abnormal schools and, and I saw like, you know, the military academy kind of websites with all the helicopters and boats and thought that it would be crazy. You know, I, I went there for the civil engineering major and, uh, really, you know, in the end, I think it was just God's providence getting me to the right place at the right time. I ended up realizing while I was there, I didn't like boats at all. And 90% of the cadets from the academy go to a boat. <laughs> so then the only other alternative was to fly. And uh, that's what I ended up doing. So well, here I am. Well, there you go. Yeah, that sounds like yeah. uh, an interesting way in, but a way in nonetheless. Yeah. How long have you been in the in the Coast Guard? Um, May will be 11 years. 11 years. Are you, are you planning on a lifer? Uh, we'll see. But, uh, I'm not really sure. I still have, uh, I had 13 years total obligated service, so I'm still paying off my, my debts. 
Ah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens after that. I like the non-committal answer. You don't want the uh, reenlistment officer to hear it and think he's got an easy way to go, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And the way the airlines are hiring right now, it's pretty tempting to, to jump. I can't say as I would blame you there. It's, uh, from what I understand, a decent career. Yeah. But I don't know that you could get me to want to be in a commercial airline pilot right now. That that doesn't sound like the world I right. would want to play in. But, right. <clears throat> you know, I can Can't count be too much different than trucking, right? Well, yes and no. I mean, every time I'm in an airport, I always get searched, though. I, I don't oh, think okay. even if I was in a pilot's uniform, I think I would still be searched. Something about yeah. the ambiguously brown look and the uh, and the big beard, I always yeah. get searched. <laughs> even pre-9-11. When I was in the army, really? with no beard, no just the you know, little military mustache, I still got searched every airport I went into. I I learned to hate those wow. places. It was just an extra yeah. bunch of, of stuff I didn't need in my life. But yeah, that, right. that was always. I, I was never a good flyer either, though. So that's there is that. Yeah. You know, I can sit in a plane for a while and I'll be I'll be calm and I'm not going to cause problems. But I just don't like it. So I mean, yeah. it's got to be a different experience up there in the air when you're the one yeah. in the controls. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, that that sounds like an exciting time out there because I've known a, a couple people who were in the Coast Guard who did some of the stuff they do, and and while the mil- the rest of the military, we give you guys a lot of crap. You know, the the Coast Guard does some pretty cool stuff. I mean, yeah. I, I know that for a fact, but you know, they they don't yeah. they don't get the credit that the Navy SEALs get. How about that? Sure. Well, yeah, and th- those guys are pretty extreme too. Yeah. <laughs> I never knew any SEALs, but I knew a handful of Rangers. I knew uh, a Delta operator when I was in and that kind of stuff. And those guys get get the press. But, you know, a lot of the real work that's going on out there, we don't hear about it goes down there. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. when I was in the in the Army, one of the things we, we had was the, the Army values. And, you know, my let's see if I can make my basic training uh, drill sergeants proud here. Leadership was the acronym they used. Loyalty, duty. Respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. There we go. Yeah. There you go. Nice. Drill Sergeant Dakuto. <laughs> I remember yeah. that you beat it into me. But the one in there that, that sticks out to me is selfless service. You know, that's that's just a piece of, of of who we become as as being in the military. I think it's it's a piece of what I think it's a characteristic trait that draws people into the service. I, I see that in my wife and I are, are foster parents now. Um, she's currently walking out of the room with one of the kids who, who keeps wandering back in. But, um, you know, I, I see you guys pulled into, into the foster care as well. Do you think your, your experience in the military, that characteristic trait kind of is, is what pulled you guys towards foster care? I think in some way, um, yeah, I, I think selfless services, um, an accurate way to describe it. Um, I would say that, you know, again, in my quick summary of how I got into the Coast Guard, uh, was not, um, I, I was not voted or motivated by very selfless reasons per se. I was, you know, kind of doing what I felt like I needed to do. Um, and then, you know, I do appreciate that aspect of service and I, I do, uh, I do like that we are, um, serving through the Coast Guard, but I think more so what got us into foster care was just, um, an idea of want, wanting to live intentionally. You know, we saw people around us, um, when we lived, at our previous duty station in Miami, Florida, um, there were people that were in the foster care world and there was a big adoption ministry at our church. Um, and so, uh, we, my, my wife and I knew that we wanted to be parents. Um, and we didn't uh, really care how those kids came into the house. And I think, um, 
when after talking with some friends down there and you know and really kind of refining our, our worldview of like what you know why are we here in this world you know what what are we supposed to be doing um you know again we're, we are uh, christians and feel called like you're saying with the selfless service that, that we are to be uh laying our life down and, and you know taking up our cross and not necessarily just living for pleasure all the time um and so we kind of timidly uh stepped out into the information gathering stage for foster care what was it you know I, I think my wife was a little more excited than i was at first um but when we moved up to mobile we were ready for uh we, we, you know, we had the paperwork done, ready to start the classes, ready, you know, we were both um, super on board with giving it a shot at least, you know, and, and knowing in the back of our minds that if it didn't work out, it was something that you could turn off a little bit easier than, you know, birthing a kid that you could then have for 18 or 20 years. Um, That's very true. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, we like the, we like the, um, the easy out aspect of foster care, you know, when it came to parenting and, um, since we started, we um, haven't had any regrets or, or thoughts of not doing it. You know, it's been uh, definitely a huge challenge, as you all know, but um, one that's rewarding um, and one that you, you know, there's immediate benefits to and you, and you know that there will be even more long term benefits as well. Oh, I agree. I agree. You know, in in one of the groups, I'm in the, uh, the Dead Edge Alliance. One of the things that I, I hear people talk about a lot there is is that legacy, you know, the idea that right now at this very moment, you're writing your obituary, you know, whatever you do today, it's going to leave a wake behind you. That's going to change the world long after you're gone. And that's a big piece of, of my personal drivers and a lot of the things that I do. And it's that notice that you're going to die. Someone will carry your casket. That's going to happen. You will have an obituary and a headstone and you're writing what that obituary looks like today with your actions. And I know that that's a powerful thing for me. And part of that came from my own journey with, you know, my dad was a police officer and he really mentored a couple guys that I knew. Um, guys that, well, one guy w w we were friends with, he lived across the street from me when I was little. And uh, they moved away and years later he came back and he'd been in some, some we'll say, <laughs> he'd made some unfortunate choices in his life. Um, and, yeah. and my dad really mentored him around to a much better place. And, and another friend of mine who, whose mom had called the police department and said, you guys come deal with this kid before I abuse him. And, oh. and my dad would happen to be the guy who showed up. And both of those guys are, are friends of mine now. Um, you know, and they, they've, it's made such a difference in their life and in their, their wives' lives and their kids' lives. And, and I'm certain their grandkids' lives. You know that that's that's a that's how I can see a place where my dad's legacy li lives on, even past him now that he's gone. You know, there's a piece of him in 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 that, and I see that as as being part of of that foster journey. Is there's so much of ourself that we can give to that legacy and, and pass that on, even if the kids don't stay with us. You know, we yeah. we've had four kids that, that came to our house as foster kids that we have adopted, that that will be here forever. But you know, close to twenty kids all in all that you know most of them. Well, you know, well, most of them honestly probably won't remember us because most of them were pretty young. But it doesn't mean that that legacy won't live on in 15 or 20 lives down the road that we can't change. Right. You know, that, that's yeah, a big piece. I, I was going to say to you, I think that you have, um, that when you're talking about legacy and you, you want to see, and I think one of the difficult things for me is that at first I wanted to really see the immediate benefit that the kid was getting from, you know, 
the relief from trauma, the safe setting of my household and stuff like that. But really for the first um, two to three years of our experience, the kids were kind of in and out like very quickly. And it was difficult to feel like we were making much of a difference in their life. Um, just because, you know, if you only have a kid for four or eight weeks, um, it doesn't, you know, you're not going to see that much long-term change in them. Um, and more recently we've had placements that have lasted much longer up to three years now for one of them. Um, but it, uh, I do think like you're saying that, the, and you know, I, I think that God does use even those little clips of, you know, the kids in and out of our house to benefit them in some way, even, you know, four weeks away from the trauma in a, you know, a loving household, um, can do things for the kid that we, you know, there will be repercussions later in their life that, that, that they will have benefited from that, you know, a little bit of time in a safe household. Um, it's not something that we, um, necessarily get to see or enjoy. Uh, but, but that's one of the tough parts of legacy is it's something, it's, it's something that, uh, it's for other people. It's not for yourself, you know? Absolutely. You know, and, <clears throat> If anybody listening hasn't heard the the story before this one, there should be a I think it's a six part series called the Legacy of Standing with Turtle, and that is our little guy Turtle, and it tells his story and his story is deep, man. Like this kid, he would come stay with us because he was kind of a family placement, and I say kind of because there's like a double half step involved in in the relationship <laughs> there, so it, it's tough to call it exactly a family placement, but. Yeah, you're still considered a kinship placement. Though, yeah, so. but he, yeah. um, when when you hear his story, where he came from, like it was dark. This kid, you know, he saw the dark side of 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 the world. You know, well, everybody's familiar with Ferguson, Missouri, right? You you've heard of Ferguson, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and yep. where are you from? I'm from Connecticut originally. Connecticut, okay, from Connecticut, but you know where Ferguson, Missouri is, and it's about the size of a postage stamp on a map. I'm in Ferguson right. all the time. Ferguson's actually a nice part of town compared to where Turtle came from. Um, I know the area. I was actually there just two or three days ago with my job um, in his, the neighborhood he grew up in. And it is like, if you want a place to get shot in St. Louis, that's one of the places he he came out of that neighborhood. And so, you know, just, he would come to us for a day. Sometimes, sometimes it'd be three weeks. Sometimes it, it, you know, just never knew he, he, she, you know, his bio mom would call us and we'd show up and pick him up and we'd have him until we didn't. And, and well, or until she got out of jail the next time or yep, there was that. Know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. The calls from jail that said, Hey, can you watch him for a while? Because I'm locked up tonight. Um, I've got I, three other counties I have to be extradited to. Actually, I think it was six, six counties. He had warrants in. And so, you know, it was wow. such an unpredictable thing, but those little moments, you never know what was prevented with him not being there in those moments. Yeah. You know, he was literally in the neighborhoods that could have been the difference between life and death for him. Well, the thing is, is yeah. even one day meant one day in a nice warm house with warm food and, you know, just stability. So, yeah, that that's, you know, so even those short-term placements can even be when you don't see it, you don't get to see it necessarily, but it can mean such a difference in, yeah. in what they experience and what their life is like. So, you know, don't don't ever discount those placements because the only thing is, is you just don't get to know about all the details of what would have been. Right. You know, God has a funny way of making us accept that part of life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like religion is is a piece of of your motivation there. Um, <clears throat> what what is that is that a big piece of your of your uh, your decision to foster or was that just an incident incidental coincidence? It uh, no, it, it is. I, I would say the primary 
uh, reason. I think you hit the nail on the head. It, um, I, I think um, one thing that we like to talk about uh, is the idea that you know humans create families biologically. That's the way that people do it. And what we believe the Bible says is that God creates his family through adoption. And so the um, taking, and I can't quote the verses to you specifically, but the, the idea of taking a people that was not my people, uh, or God talks about taking a people that was not my people and making them his people um, is something that we you know get to experience through foster care and adoption. And um, the, the, the uh, choice, you know, making a choice to love a kid um, is uh, something that we get to exercise um, that many other people unfortunately don't get to, to see. You know, I think it's hard to compare. Having not had any biological kids, it's hard to compare uh, what that would be like for us. But, you know, I think my wife and I can't really imagine loving kids any less than we love our foster kids. And um, we do feel like, again, we're, we're called to, um, to enter into the brokenness and, you know, having had my wife and I have had pretty privileged lives ourselves. Um, we feel our, you know, that Christ called us to uh, descend into broken humanity to, you know, to, to help redeem it um, and not to try to keep ourselves aloof and unstained and um, avoid the brokenness that's all around us. And one thing that has been interesting for us is, you know, again, having lived pretty um, easy middle-class lives uh, for our whole life, um, once you start interacting with DHR and the state and, you know, and, and the, all the uh, kind of the red tape that goes along with it, you end up in a whole different world, you know, like you were describing with uh, where Turtle came from, you know, neighborhoods you would never be in, people you'd never be talking to, uh, situations that you don't believe or actually, people actually, you know, live in in real life. Um, and it really opens your eyes to a lot of uh ways that our, our world's not working the way that it should be. Um, and it's, it's easy to want to cover that up, you know, close the wardrobe door and, you know, and kind of ignore it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, my wife and I definitely believe that we are called to, um, to be a part of the solution there. You know, I wish I would have had somebody to say all that to me when I was younger, because that's not the religious experience I had growing up. But I think, I think you're a hundred percent right. You know, um, if you if you read through that book, which I did several times as a kid, but one of the things that that you will find several times in there is a mention of taking care of widows and orphans. Who in in the yeah. time that that was written, the widows and orphans were the 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 outcasts of society. They were they had no way to survive. They were the bottom of the lower class. And my God, if he doesn't say so many times to take care of them, and then you look at the size of the need that's out there. And, you know, it came down to me one day that just said, you know, as much as I was at that time, I was really in personally, I was, I was kind of going through some, some rebellion against the faith that I had grown up in. And I just, the voice in my head kept asking, but what are you doing? Huh? What do you yeah. think you're doing? You want to talk bad yeah. about these folks? What are you doing, buddy? Let's see that. Right. And it wasn't, but it wasn't, but a short time later that Amanda and I ended up, um, accidentally almost getting uh getting a bunch of paperwork from from a a uh what was she the the licensing worker at the children's division in our area i'd gone down there to, to ask her some questions and interview her about a uh, newspaper article i was writing at the time and i left with paperwork and brochures and i came home and my wife who um 
would gladly have had 12 kids if we could have physically done it. Um, she saw that. And next thing I know, we're in classes and, and we were doing it. And I look at it now and I go, you know, this is actually, if you look back, read those gospels, like, you know, who was, who was sitting in the room? Who was sitting in the room talking with Jesus? It wasn't the people who lived in the nice houses. Right. It wasn't the folks who had money, you know, he was sitting there with, with prostitutes and thieves and, and hanging out with their kids and stuff. And that, that's, that's who was being ministered to. That's, that's who he was helping. And, And that's one of the things, at least for me, that I look at and go, okay, you know, I still, I, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and pretend like I've got all this this religion thing figured out because I sure don't. But if you want to believe in in what the Bible says, that's what it says you're supposed to be taking care of, you know. Yeah. Taking care of yeah. even the least of these, you know. Yeah. And kind of the the tagline that I have on some of my website stuff is providing strength for the weakest among us. And right. That's that's what I see foster care being as a way to provide that strength. For the ones who don't have it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we were just we were just recently looking at uh, James 1-7. You know, true religion is this, to um, to provide for the widow and the orphan and to keep oneself unseen from the world. Um, and, you know, I think like I was saying before, I, we feel called to uh, descend down, you know, to, to, to give up power, give up financial power, give up positional power, give up societal power, um, to, to be with the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the oppressed. Um, the, the sick, the prisoner, you know, all those people that, um, in, uh, that, that are powerless in society. Those are the people that we need to be loving um, and self-righteousness and, and hypocrisy and kind of downplaying our own faults um, doesn't help with any of that. Absolutely. Usually one spouse is the driving force behind becoming involved in foster care. Was that really the case for you guys, or was that kind of a joint decision? We, um, I, I think, our case is a little bit different than most um, with regard to that. We uh, got married in. Uh, I was living in Miami. My wife came down to you know move in with me then, uh, and we knew we only had three years left in that location, and we kind of agreed to not talk about kids until we moved. Um, and again, in during the three years that we were there. God was kind of quietly working in our life to expose us to foster care and adoption as an option. I didn't really, you know, because we had agreed to not talk about kids. I didn't really know that my wife was kind of leaning towards the adoption route anyways. Um, And just, I don't think she had really considered foster care uh, or or had known what it was at the time. And so she was definitely the the instigator at first. Um, When it came time, um, I was still not super ready to think about having kids because I was just having, you know, fun. I was having fun, you know, living the lifestyle that we had in in Miami. Um, And I wasn't (laughs) anti, I wasn't anti fostering or adoption per se, but um, I was just not super ready for kids. Um, But once it came time, once we started doing the classes together um, and again, started really buckling down, into the the intent behind it, you know, kind of like we, we were discussing before we were um, recording is just living a lifestyle of intentionality. Um, that's something that I really appreciate about foster care is um, there's plenty of kids that need good homes and uh, we can provide that for them. And we had uh, some, you know, that there are so many good reasons um, to welcome in the kids that needed a spot instead of fill up those spots with new kids that, you know, weren't there before. Um, so I, I really like the intentionality behind it, but 
I would say, you know, to, to answer your question a little more concisely, my wife did kind of start the research into it and, and uh, planted the seed and we were both on board, you know, for, for the process. Okay. <clears throat> now, do you guys have any biological, yeah, any biological kids of your own? We do not. Yeah. Is that, was that an intentional choice or, or is that a fertility issue? Uh, we, it's so far it's been an intentional choice. We're, we're not really sure if we could have kids or not, but okay. we've been actively trying not to. Um, so, well, I asked because that's a big, that's a big thing with, uh, with infertility issues. I think I've known some people who came into it because of that. So that's, that's why I was just curious if you guys had that as an issue or if it was just the, uh, just the personal choice. No. Yeah. We were, we were, I would say much more excited with the thought of, uh, loving the kids that were already there instead of just an, you know, kind of unknown kid that, that would pop into our life. And, you know, you'll learn just as much and experience just as much love. I've had a lot of people tell me, um, and, and I'm certain if you've been doing foster care more than about five minutes, you've heard all the platitudes, you know, there's a special place in heaven and, and the one that, you know, that there's, um, it takes a special man to love somebody else's child. And I've yeah. heard that a lot, and I think, ah, not really. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't really, it doesn't really take that much. Like, like if, if yeah. you were in, if you were walking through the mall, and there was there was a two year old standing there crying, in obvious pain, or you know, afraid, and there's no other human around, would you not walk over and be like, "Hey, buddy, what's going on? Yeah. You know, do you need some? Right. I mean, it's not that hard to see a kid in pain, and yeah. step out and and try to help them. Yeah. Now I, I will give you mad props because it's obvious that you guys have um, have chosen to help older kids and where I've known we have one lady who's out here in our county who like has specialized in teens and helping teens transition out of, out of care and off into their own life and she has really I look at people like that and I'm I'm sorry but I, I'm always in awe of that that's a skill set that is foreign to me our oldest daughter would have been 23 this year. We have a 21-year-old and a 19-year-old and a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old. And teens are just not my forte. Yeah. I yeah, love yeah, matchbox yeah. cars and the little you know, the little town, the rugs that's got the town on it. And we get down on the ground and we, we room cars from the police station over to the park. And then we go we eat lunch. And, like, that piece of loving a kid is super easy. You know, right. the, the teen route is, is, is a bit more challenging because there's so much more involved. You know, te- yeah. the, the teen life is hard. I mean, middle school, my God. I mean, how much money would you have to have to experience middle school again? Oh, I never want to do it. it never. That's a tough time in life. And, yeah. and kids in care who are going through that, you know, they, they've got it doubly tough. It's, it's a lot of extra strength. Uh, <laughs> not strength. It's a lot of extra stress on them. And so I, I can only imagine what, what that's like for a kid going through that. You know, but as a parent, I don't know that that that's a, a place that I feel like I could step into and do it well as a right. foster parent. You know, yeah. so. Hey, guys, I hope you're enjoying the interview with Luke Zitzman today. If you'd like to find more information on foster care and adoption, come by and check us out at our Facebook page, Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey. You can also find us on YouTube by the same name, or you can come by and look at our website and the blog at jasonmpalmer.com. It's all together, Jason M. 
for, as in Martin, jasonmpalmer.com. And we hope to see you over there. Now back to the show. Mad props to you guys for being able to, to see that as a place that you can, that you can make a difference because that's, that's definitely the harder route. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And, and we're like not that good at it either. We're, you know, we're definitely learning as we go. Um, I think my wife is more and she's, she's, uh, was a middle and high school science teacher. So she likes the, um, middle to the high school age range and she's very good at, you know, she's much more emotionally intelligent than I am. So she's good at, at, um, meeting the kids where they're at there. And I'm, I'm better at tumbling around wrestling with the boys on the floor, you know, and, uh, doing the younger kids for sure. Um, but I think th- to go back to the earlier, earlier question too, about not having biological kids, it's actually been to our benefit that we did not have kids in our house. So we were able to accept a much wider age range, um, initially. And we've, we also, uh, have the incredible luxury of my wife staying at home. And I think, I think the stats are there's something like 150 fan, uh, foster homes in our county for about 600 kids. And of the 150 homes, there's, we're one of four or five that has a stay at home spouse. And oh, so wow. in the early days, yeah, in the early days, we got several placements where they called us and said, Hey, you know, you're on a very short list of people that are able to t- take this kid because of this condition that needs constant care through the day. Um, or this, you know, one of the kids that we have right now, um, had been kicked out of seven daycares and, uh, it wasn't, that wasn't an option anymore. He had to stay home with a caretaker. So, um, the you know just having the two of us and no other kids in the house has enabled us to more effectively minister um just to some of these kids and what a blessing you get to be to be able to to provide that for them and to experience it because as a foster parent i know the truth is is that i get more out of it i learn more i have more amazing moments when kit with kids that than i would ever have been able to have you know, if I, if I wasn't in a few of those harder places with them, I've learned so much from those kids, you know, that that's gotta be a blessing for you guys to be able to step in for some of those kids who really need some intensive, you know, uh, caretaker. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, the, the teens definitely do stretch you more, um, but it's good because it makes you really reassess your priorities, your worldview, your beliefs. Um, and it's, uh, that, you know, the, 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 um, growth comes with a challenge, you know, and you don't, if you're not challenging yourself with the parenting that you're uh, experiencing, if you're just sitting on the couch playing on your iPhone, while the kids tumble around in the yard, um, you're not going to grow from that. But if you're really, you know, hitting the, uh, the relational difficulties head on and trying, you know, trying to mentor, trying to um, teach, um, that's where a lot of the growth comes. And that's what, you know, my wife and I have experienced. Well, that's a great way to look at it because you're right. All growth comes through pain. You know, nobody gets stronger unless you pick up a heavier weight. If you're not right. sore after your workout, you're not going to get more muscles. If yeah. you don't breathe hard, you're not going to get any cardiovascular effort out of it. You know, you're not going to make any gains. It, it goes all the way down to the very basics. All growth comes through struggle. So seeing seeing those challenges as an opportunity is a is an important piece of, of being a a human, I think, not even just a foster parent, but it's an important piece of being a human so that you know how to, how to see hard times and learn to grow from those. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's one of the things we learned, you know, 
um, <clears throat> what it's been four years ago, we lost our oldest daughter. And wow. where that sounds like a horrible thing, and it is. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's Nobody would ever choose that route. But yeah. unless you have the ability to see the the opportunities in the pain, like your world changes. At yeah. that point, I, I, I understand why, why people become alcoholics and drug addicts just to numb the pain because that's a lot of pain. Now, I'm yeah. not even going to lie. I became an alcoholic for a while after that, you know. I only had one yeah. drink every night, but it was it was a fifth of whiskey. <laughs> that was my single drink. And I did that for a while, you know, not because I was smart, but because I I didn't have the emotional intelligence to walk through that stuff. I, I didn't know what I was dealing with. And that's one hell of a deep end to jump into. And it wasn't until I, I got to the point where I knew something had to change that, that my life became something different. That I realized that, you know, at, at this point, I am not a good dad at the end of the day. I'm not a good husband. I stay up till I get the kid's foot to bed and I drink to numb the pain. And then I go pass out in bed and get up early the next morning and do it again. You know, you do that five days a week and on the weekends you just have a drink in the morning so that it, it numbs the, the hangover pain. And it, it was it was a cycle that, that came out of not being able to find those opportunities in the pain. You know, yeah, and what tough. what you said there, that that's that's a big that's a big thing that teaching a lot of these Kids who come out of pain, you know, that that's an opportunity for you to teach them some things that they're not going to get other places. You know, usually, and I, I know, I don't know what the stats are. I know at least two of the kids in our house, you know, that they came to the foster care system and their mom was a foster kid at one point as well. It's, it's that generational problem. Nobody right. has spoken into that family in a way that has changed the generations. And that's, that's a, a position you have to be able to, to help those help kids see that and change what their life story is going to be and the story of their future generations. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So, how have your foster experiences shaped the heart of your family? I think um, the uh, when when we initially stepped into it, obviously, like any new foster family, we had no idea what we were getting into. Uh, we knew it'd be hard, and you get the veteran foster parents that kind of like laugh at your naivety and they're like oh you wait you know it'll, it'll be terrible um and you just hear horror stories uh but you haven't experienced it yet um but i think getting into it and seeing a few of those horror stories and then realizing that it's worth it um has really convinced my wife and i that um the benefits of not living for ourselves. you know when we look at what we could have been had we and, and not to um not to put anyone down that, that lives this lifestyle, but had we you know gone out and bought the, the nicest house we could afford and had the 2.3 kids and the white picket fence and you know the, the new car and uh, kind of live the American dream, I don't think that we would be as satisfied as we are living you know a life of um, intentional sacrifice. And, and I think the, the um, we find our we find meaning and um, satisfaction in the calling of uh, serving others and right for now that's these kids and, that need a safe place to live and I think that that I think the heart of our family you know and I'm speaking for my wife and myself uh, right now but um, our heart right now is that we live that life of service sacrificial service and 
this experience, the last four years of foster care have shown how rewarding that could be, um, even amidst the difficulty, you know, as we were talking about, like, the, you know, the, the um, growth from the pain, um, we're, we're starting to see the character growth that's helped, that's happened because of the choices that we've made. Well, that intentional sacrifice piece, that's, uh, <clears throat> I'm certain that has roots in, in your, uh, your religious beliefs as well. That, uh, that's yeah. one of those things that, that I, it, that and the, um, and the, uh, understanding that you're finding meaning in the midst of the suffering, you know, that's, that's almost a Buddhist principle there. You know, yeah. I, I think I've heard it put that life is suffering punctuated by brief moments of happiness. So you damn well better find some meaning in all of it. And it sounds right. like that's what you guys are doing. Yeah. Yeah. And we think, you know, and our belief would be that, the, that God is weaving a, an intricate tapestry of, of life all throughout everything um, that he's working on all things for the good of those that are, that are called according to his purpose and really eventually all things for his glory. Um, and so, you know, when I think people are preoccupied with kind of the mythical or legendary stories um, like Lord of the Rings or the Star Wars uh, stuff or, um, you know, C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, and the reason that stuff resonates with us is because we were meant to be part of that kind of story. And we, when we encounter all of these uh, foster kids, we're catching them on, on one, you know, the parts of the, the lowest parts of their life, you know, and we're getting to live through a little bit of their story. Um, and we believe that, that all that has been woven together into, you know, a great and glorious story that will have an a, a incredibly happy ending. Um, and so we're, we're looking forward to that. Um, so while there is pain along the way, you don't get, you know, when, when you watch a movie, you don't get the um, satisfaction out of a happy ending if there's no crisis during the movie, you know. And, and likewise, um, you don't see growth in uh, in someone's character and one of these kids' character unless they came from, um, you know, somewhere where they had no character or, or needed to grow from. Um, you don't get the joy of um, happy living if you've never felt the pain of, you know, the loss that the, or the, the situations that a lot of these kids are coming out of. Um, and so, I, you know, it's definitely um, something I, not that I'm, I'm not saying that the good always outweighs the bad every day or every week or month. Um, but we do have a great hope that we can look forward to and we think that we're, you know, um, making an eternal difference in a lot of their, their lives. Wow. <clears throat> I think you're right. But that's uh that's quite a uh, quite a reason to stay after it. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean you and I both know, we've said it many, many of times, you know, we have learnt and gained more from our children than I think we could ever possibly hope to give them. You know, every story, every case may be different, it may have different challenges, but you know, it's it stamps on our heart in a different place each time. And we learn a new lesson each and every time. And it's yeah. just, you know, it, as much as people will say we're doing for them, you know, they're doing just as much, if not more for us and making us better people for it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I would say that for every struggle I've, I've helped a young kid through, I have gained more than they have. And that's, that's been one of the driving forces for me is that I've grown so much in the middle of this process. You know, <clears throat> you're talking earlier about, you know, seeing kids come from places that 
that you only see in movies, you know, the downtrodden side of, you know, the, the, the other side of the tracks or, or the, or North St. Louis city, um, you know, all the different pieces of town that we sometimes forget a lot of times just how good we have it, you know, because even the, the kids who come from those areas have it better than most of the children in third world countries. And that piece of learning gratitude and learning to, to accept that gratitude as part of who we are and, um, and change ourselves into a person of gratitude so that it's, it's a little bit harder to stay inside of the negative side of our own head because you know how fortunate you are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by extension too, I think my wife and I would say, um, you know, what we believe is that, that, um, that she and I, are, are you know deeply flawed individuals that we, that we sin and we don't deserve anything um, good essentially and, and it's only through God's grace you know taking away the sin uh, that we've had and given us His perfect record uh, that we get to share in in His joy um, and then the outpouring of that that the uh, unmerited favor um, is to turn and, and lay down our lives or our lives in uh, in service of Him um, and this is one exciting way one easy way one uh, necessary way that we're able to do that. One of the other questions I always like to ask people is what sets your soul on fire? I think I may have kind of gotten into this a little bit earlier, but, um, well, uh, little bits of it, you know, through, through there. But what I was just saying about, um, God's unmerited favor towards us and, and kind of our response to that, you know, that the idea, you know, and we would call it the gospel is that, that we, um, sin and fall short of, of uh, the standard, the standard being perfection. Um, and since I'm not perfect, um, I don't deserve to to be in God's presence in his perfection, uh, but that he uh, reached down, that he adopted me into his family, that he paid the price for my sins, um, that he washed them away and gave me a perfect record. Um, that gets me really excited to, um, to live in a way that points back to that, to, um, that glorifies the God that, that, um, loves that much. Um, and any way, you know, like we were talking about through all through scripture, when he points us to serve, uh, the least of these, that's essentially what he was doing. He was, um, when he saved me and, and adopted me into his family, he was saving someone that, um, was powerless to do that on my own. Um, and then so seeing in a small way, being able to reflect that same narrative by reaching out, um, you know, saying yes when DHR calls and welcoming a new kid into our home. Um, that new kid is powerless um, and can't earn um, our favor. And that, you know, that's a part of uh, maybe a little part of Zoe's story that, that she may get into um, on your next episode. But um, just the idea of um, the kid not being able to work um, their own salvation, um, but you're just extending grace and love. Um, and provision towards them um, is just so exciting to uh, to see. And unfortunately, I, I you know I kind of breeze past that in, in actual experience. I don't let that uh, reality sink in, and I'm just kind of task oriented, like what are, you know, just running down the checklist of the next things that have to happen, and you know, trying to reinforce my vision of what the kid's future should be, um, and do my best to you know spin the dials and can you know control what I can. Um, but I think it would behoove me and, and probably a lot of other people to just step back and see that narrative playing out, uh, you know, of uh, unmerited favor, you know, kind of paying it forward. Um, what, what the uh, the grace that you've received that you're turning around, passing that on to uh, the people that you're interacting with in your daily life, you know. 
Wow. <clears throat> I think that must be a male trait to some extent, but you kind of sound like a pilot with checklists and control. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But that that's so true in all of our, you know, I think that's, that's part of the male mentality in, in large part. We're big on that control, being able to make sure we have everything planned out and laid out ahead of us and all the boxes are checked. Everything's good to go before, before we take off on whatever journey it is and, and get up into the middle of the air because we're afraid that if something comes apart, well, <laughs> you know, it's not like when your car engine dies, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> your car stops going. It, it kind of sucks. But when your plane motor stops going, it's, it's catastrophic. Yeah. And sometimes we forget to step back and, and just watch, watch the view. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's uh that's a big piece of it for, for most of us guys, I think. Um, one of the things that we have, we found ourselves really talking about with a lot of people is, is trauma. You know, trauma is such a big piece of, of, the, of our lives and, and every kid's life, especially who, who comes into care because, I mean, trauma has so many effects that we're just now understanding the science of. There's a lot of research out there now that shows that you can do an MRI and see the physiological damage that trauma has in the brain of a human being. Their brain changes when they go through trauma. And that's one of the things that, that has informed our parenting style a lot. Not every day because trauma-based parenting is great when you can remember to do it in the moment, but every parent fails at it sometimes. But where would you say you've seen trauma in your life that has really affected you and how has that helped you to grow? Boy, that's a a totally different question than I expected you were going to go on that route. I I don't know. um, I don't know if I, you're talking about trauma that's impacted me personally, right? Well, I mean, and but, part of our part of the some of the stuff that we've learned the most from has been some of the kids' trauma that we've dealt with as well. So, oh, I see. Yeah, okay. Every piece yeah, of I that. Thought, I thought you were referring to me specifically because I was going to say, man, I, like I real, I I feel like I have a pretty easy childhood, but um, there's de- there's definitely been, um, you know, I, it's it's much easier to point out trauma uh, that you see in other people. I think so. So, um, I would don't think that I have experienced much, if any. Um, but I would, I could easily point to every kid that we've had in our house and see, um, uh, huge like habit patterns all the way down to little ticks that they have that, you know, are indicative of the trauma they've experienced. Um, one th- one resource that helped us a lot out or helped us out a lot in our early, uh, days of foster parenting was, um, TBRI, the trauma-based relational intervention kind of school of thought out of TCU, uh, Dr. Karen Purvis Institute down there and, and, um, some of the exercises that, that she would use, um, a lot of the ways that we had to respond, especially to some of the younger kids, um, were completely counterintuitive, you know, nothing like the direct parenting that we got from our parents growing up. Um, and, uh, the, the other thing that I think that you'd appreciate, you know, as, um, uh, is a lot of times often what those kids need when they're acting up is just like a snuggle and a hug kind of thing, just wrestling them to the ground and, 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 uh, hugging them till the, the crying stops, which is, um, sometimes not what we, not my first reaction, uh, when there's, there's misbehavior going on. Um, but I think, like you said before, it is still important to recognize the, the acting out is coming from trauma and not necessarily ADD or, you know, some kind of, um, just mischievous behavior, uh, that we would suspect them of, but there's a deeper scar that needs to be 
addressed before some of the surface level behavior is, is uh, penalized. Yeah, that's the interesting piece of trauma is that, that the counterintuitive responses are difficult at best. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> when I have a, a four-year-old who's, who's throwing, I don't know, something heavy at a window and because they're angry and you ask them, why did you do that? And their answer is because I'm mad. Your first response is not to, to go ahead and, and look for the, the pain on, in there. And your, your first response is to go, you almost broke my window. <laughs> What's wrong right. with you, child? <laughs> right. So yeah, right. That, that's a tough one to, to get a hold on. You know, <clears throat> how have you learned to, uh, to, to work through that, that response and, and the, uh, when, when they're having one of those emotional responses? Boy, I, I think that I'm very weak at that. I have not uh, learned very well at all. I think the only comforting thing that I've seen is um, is with one of ours, like the, the five-year-old that we have right now, um, he, will, he, he can tell through the counseling that we've gotten for him um, to recognize when I'm getting upset at maybe something he did or his brother did. Um, and to see him coaching me through dad, do some breathing, take a deep breath, you know, do, do, uh, coaching me through <laughs> some of the exercises that we've taught to him to handle, uh, anger. Um, and I think that the comical, uh, nature of that kind of situation where I'm about to blow up on, on maybe him and he's coaching me through my anger response, um, has been super helpful. Um, I think that, um, another technique that I use to combat that is, is, uh, knowing, you know, again, I, I, most of the times that I make mistakes in my life, um, are when, when I'm really hurried, um, um, not, uh, not handling transitions well. And I think that's something that's, um, you know, very common to, uh, to, to trauma, um, or people affected by trauma. And so in my own life, trying to, uh, reduce the stress of transitions by making the transition time longer, you know, waking up a little bit earlier so we're not rushing as much to get out to school and do the drop-offs or taking the long way home on my commute so that I can, um, you know, take a minute to kind of process the, the day and everything that happened at work so I'm not walking into a, a messy house at the end of a work day, or still stressed about work and now very frustrated at the state of the house. You know, little, little things like that to... Um, to kind of compartmentalize um, some of the stressors has helped me. I'm still trying to wrap my head around my five-year-old trying to calm me down. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> but I mean, that's amazing that, that he's at a place at five where he, he can see that, recognize it and step into that place. That's because that's going to serve him in the future to know how to, how to do that for himself. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Um, I guess the only other question I had right now is, um, you know, is there a story that, that you really feel like you need to tell? Um, I, I wouldn't, uh, say a story per se. Um, but, um, I think the one thing that I try to communicate to each of the kids that I think is helpful for anyone is just that the, um, idea of living with intentionality, be, being purposeful in the things that we do and the, the actions that we take, the activities that we participate in, 
um, the things that we own. You know, every every decision in life, I think, needs to be made with intentionality. Um, and the, the best analogy I've heard for that is life as a conveyor belt, where your current self is throwing packages on to the conveyor belt that your future self is going to have to unload. And your future self is really going to want to be unloading good financial decisions and healthy eating and good exercise habits and healthy relationships. Um, and it's really tempting for your current self to be throwing on cheeseburgers and, you know, spending money, going into debt, um, not working out and, and boxes full of crap. Um, and so just that, that idea of like things that are good for you now might not be good for you later. Uh, is something that I really try to impress on the kids. And I think it can be, um, very helpful for us as adults too, to kind of weigh that in our own life. You know, like what are we doing for ourselves now? That's going to be, that's going to make our future self happy. And I think that, um, participating in foster care uh, is a is a huge uh, benefit to me and my wife um, and it's not just doing something that'll be good for us later through the character growth um, and and kind of the uh, the the living experiment of getting to, to see what sacrificial living is like but it's also good for other people later that we're jumping into this and making an intentional decision to have an atypical family um, and so I would just encourage all your listeners uh, of all ages to, to be looking at life and, and the decisions they're making um, and think about that conveyor belt. Are, are the, the actions that you're taking now going to give you the results that you want in the future? You know, I had pizza for lunch, right? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's one of my favorite foods, though. So. Yeah, yeah. Everything in moderation, right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> Moderation is not my strong suit. <laughs> There's a reason why today I drink zero glasses of alcohol per week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, because you're right. That, that's what I learned through that experience of mine was that, you know, those those things that I was throwing on turned out, I had to pay for it in a lot of different ways. You know, not only the health and the mental aspects of that, but, you know, I, <clears throat> I have several risk factors in my life and um, strokes a real thing. It's, yeah. it's all through my, my mom's side of the family. And as stroke victims go, I speak better than most. Um, wow. I've had six and wow. yeah, that's what I said, especially when I went to the doctor, when he told me the first time that he told me I'd had any, I'd had three and didn't know about it. And then, um, I found out I had three more and I had a heart condition that they have hopefully fixed. We haven't had any issues since then. So I, I'm incredibly fortunate there, but yeah, <laughs> she's over here knocking on the desk. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Ain't no lie, because it's a real deal, you know. And and those poor decisions come back in spades w when they show back up. So right. yeah, well, that's a good word. I think, thanks for the chance to talk. Uh, all right. Well, hey, we appreciate you guys coming on here today. Um, you know, coming on and talking to us and sharing your story. Thanks to everyone for listening all the way through. If you're trying to find us on a specific podcasting platform, just search for Jason and Amanda Palmer or Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or anywhere where you find your podcast. You can also download it so that you can listen wherever you're at, even when you aren't online. You can find us online at jasonmpalmer.com where you can read our blog 
and listen to all of our previous podcasts. If you have a story that you'd like to tell on the show, please send me an email at jasonmpalmer at yahoo.com and be sure to put podcasts in the subject line. Or send me a message through our Facebook page at Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey. We'll see you next time.